Welcome to This Crip Life, a place where you can meet disabled people and learn about the things that affect them. This is an Asheville FM podcast produced by DIY Able. Um, hi, I'm OG Danley. Um, that's OJI. Um, I am just now retired uh, from full radius dance. I've been a professional dancer for nine years. Uh, I'm not retiring from dancing per se. I do plan to go back uh, once I get some health issues straightened out, but I'm also a writer and a public speaker. And um, I love Instagram. I'm on there on the time. I have two grown kids. Um, I have a granddaughter named Clementine, and she's everything. And um, I, that's about it. That's, about, that's awesome. me, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, so uh, we met in Crip Chat, and so I, I just want, you know, so obviously we're both disabled. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> so would you mind talking about that, your disability? And um, I know you were you were only diagnosed like about nine months ago, but you've lived with it much longer. So yeah. to talk about that a little. Um, well, let's see. Uh, starting back in, oh my gosh, um, 2007-ish, um, I started noticing some uh, some trouble with my my mobility, and um, my pain levels would kind of go up and down, especially the left side of my body. And it was about that time that I didn't put these two together. So this is going to be 2020 is hindsight. Um, in fact, we were just moving into uh, the city we're living in now, which is Dunwoody, just north of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And um, We'd been moving for a couple of days, and a friend was helping me, and I, I took my shirt off to change it, and I had about this big of a mark on my back from a tick. And uh, so I go to the doctor, and the doctor was like, well, we think it's Rocky Mountain spotted fever. They put me on antibiotics, and uh, I just kind of pushed through because, um, you know, you got the kids, and I was cleaning houses. Right. Back during that time frame, uh, I had my own cleaning business and um, it just never got better. And um, there were some days I woke up and it was like my legs just wouldn't go. I couldn't get myself vertical. And so it started the great odyssey. I went, I've probably been through over 20 doctors in that time frame. Um, the, f- the first orthopedist I got to was wonderful. And um, Again, but he wasn't, we weren't going back to see, you know, we, we didn't think about the tick. But I was having issues with uh, the bursa, bursas in my left leg. And one um, just kept getting inflamed and infected. And it just, nothing they did. We tried for two years, everything, shots, you name it. And all this time, my pain levels are going up and up. Mm-hmm. And so I couldn't clean houses anymore. So he decided to remove that bursa. So uh, they took the bursas out of my left leg. Uh-huh. And so I'm in the car going to the doctor to uh, clear myself for physical therapy. Right. And a lady hits me with her car. 
and crushes both my legs. Um, which all my friends were like thinking I was kidding because you know people in wheelchairs can't possibly be in car accidents. Yeah. Um, so that we had, so we added crush syndrome. So I think that kind of got in the way of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it was bad. My legs were like black and blue. I didn't break anything, but it ruptured a couple of things. And so by 2011, I had been trying to drag myself around with canes and crutches and I just couldn't do it anymore. And so I just got myself a wheelchair. And it was the best thing I ever did. It was, and it was my freedom and it got me back into the world. And, um, I knew a full radius dance. Uh, a friend of mine was in it. Um, and they had an open class on Friday. So I started going there. Um, I got invited to do an uh, apprenticeship. I did that. So, I'm sorry, I'm trying to keep the story short. <laughs> and so I'm doing that. The story's not short, so you can't keep it short. So <laughs> this, is, this is the short version. Yeah. So, um, um, so I'm dancing with full radius, and I'm learning to use my chair, and I'm going through doctor after doctor, and um, my first orthopedist retired. He was like in his 80s, and so there was really nothing to be done and this was about the time that the whole opioid hysteria began so as i'm trying to find a new doctor it did not seem to matter to them what my quality of life was it did not seem to matter to them that i'd been on this medication for six years had never gotten extras was very disciplined with it Um, i even had one doctor who what little he prescribed me, he was constantly doing drug tests on me and seemed disappointed that he couldn't catch me doing other things. Right, right. And so it was just doctor after doctor, and each one would look at all the tests and all the procedures. And when those procedures didn't work, of course, that was my fault. And when they couldn't cure me, they would basically make sure that they got rid of me or just make it so intolerable that I left. And um, so when I get a new doctor, they would want to do all the tests all over again because the other doctors weren't doing it right. Right. And again, I just put myself through that. It was like, you know, every like two to three year cycles. And then I would get up all this debt from the test and, you know, the medical procedures. And I was just about at my wits end and um, my... Uh, oncologist recommended this particular practice and uh, it turns out they were a diagnostic team and so there's six doctors and they all work together they all have a specialty and uh, my general practitioner was working with uh, the skin and allergy person because now I was having all kinds of skin issues and um, the orthopedist and so they all got together and they actually read through 15 years of doctor's notes and they found two positive line tests. One had been three years before that, and one was like seven years before that. And even though there is no recognized test for Lyme, there are three tests, but none of them will definitively say you have Lyme. Right. Um, It was like, if I had gotten this test, I would have done the other. And so unfortunately, Lyme disease comes with all its own special little um, 
treats right. and um, some form of arthritis. And uh, so it started to mess with my hands. I'm just losing, I'm losing the grip in my hands. And so the dance, uh, doing what we do at Full Radius, I, you can't be a wheelchair dancer without your hands. Right. And um, it would just, um, to, to do, because what we, we're a full-time, all-year-round, um, this is our full-time job, um, and we're in rehearsal like 10 hours a week plus performances, and we're, when we're in performances, we're in our chairs 20, 30 hours in a weekend. Right. All going, 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 and um, so I just felt like it was time to, uh, you know, I just couldn't keep up that schedule. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wanted to spend more time with my granddaughter. She's two now. Right. And um, like I said, I used to do a lot of writing for, and I kind of let all that go because you really can't do anything else and be a professional wheelchair dancer. You just can't. Right, right. It takes all the spoons. Yeah, yeah. So it just kind of all worked out in the timing. Um, right, right. So that's, so right now I'm, um, I'm still working with the doctors. We're still looking at different things. Um in treatments, but unfortunately, a lot of it was let go for so long that there's really no, there's nothing they can do. Right. Um, you know, so we're just kind of looking at the options. Right. So I guess like what I'll start with is like, um, yeah, so the ableism in this medical industry, it's like you have these Lyme test disease. They didn't inform you that maybe. Right. I mean, which, you know, you got a tick bite, so it's kind of like, oh, okay, this explains yeah. it. And um, so, yeah, so, like, the doctor, you know, the doctors mis are misdiagnosing you for, like, 11 years, <laughs> like, which is... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a little over 12, a little over 12, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I think... I think they want it to be something. I think a lot of the ableism is, is that they want it to be something they can fix. They want it to be like a broken bone or, you know, something they can operate on. I actually had doctors tell me, well, to continue your treatment, like, you know, the, the medications we're giving you, you have to let us operate on something. So then, you know, we can then have the correct you know, reason to give you your pain medication. So basically they were telling me I had to have pointless operations. Right, right. To do that. Yeah, so doc like, yeah, that's how doctors work. They're kind of like, do this, which you don't need to do this. It's like, but that yes. doesn't make sense. So. Does it make sense? It doesn't make sense. <laughs> and then this time. Yeah, and it puts you through a lot of stuff that you don't, you know, when you're disabled. Uh, yeah. It's hard to it's hard to go to the doctor actually because you have to get your body and move it and then go to the doctor's office sit there and yeah so, yeah it's not it's actually not easy so that alone I feel is ableism like where the doctors don't understand that it's hard for you to constantly go there yeah and have them misdiagnose you and yeah, and, and, and you've got to be really careful. I learned very early, you have to be really careful what you say because they hate it that you say something like, well, I looked this up or I did some research. That makes them insane. Yeah, they don't like well-informed patients. No, they don't. <laughs> and, and and when I, in fact, this when I was getting the, the, the x-rays with my hands because it had gotten so bad, and this was with my new doctor, 
Mm -hmm. And as we're getting the x-rays, we're physically doing them. I said, well, the doctor before you, I said, oh, I think it's this kind of arthritis that's associated with Lyme disease. And he told me to shut up. I don't know anything. You know, stop looking at things on Google. He's the doctor. And when the doctor, my new doctor was looking at my x-rays, he said, well, I wish he had listened to you because three years ago we could have done something for you. Right, right. And so in the end, because of the ableism of your prior doctors, you didn't get the health care you needed at that time, and now it's like irreversible, essentially. No. No, it's not irreversible? Well, even, even when... Uh, it's it's not no it was it's I, I guess in a way I was prepared for that that it was going to be degenerative uh-huh. even before we knew didn't know what it was when I my first orthopedist his name was Dr. Foster he's retired now uh, he was my doctor for the first five years and he was the first doctor who was really I, I could tell he was trying to find answers and again I didn't you know, he never did a Lyme test, by the way. He he was just looking at my physical body. Right. And he was mostly dealing with my bursos that kept getting infected and inflamed. And um, he, he prepared me for, you know, this is not probably something that we're going to be able to fix. This mm-hmm. is probably going to, you know, be degenerative. And I, I appreciated that honesty because I knew that, there was a lot of things I did physically that as I, my body got worse, it was like, I can do this thing. Like, for example, here, you're from Atlanta. I used to go and climb stone mountain all the time. Oh yeah. I know stone mountain. And I realized that that was going to be a thing that was not going to be able to happen much longer. Right. So I took a friend and I, we just went. And I had that moment of this is the last time I'm going to be able to physically do this. Mm-hmm. And because of that doctor giving me that perspective, um, I was always hopeful, but I also had a very realistic that, you know, I know that you, these doctors are guessing. I mean, really, they're just guessing. And, and trust me, they guessed everything. Right. Um, and, yeah, and then the, the same thing kind of happened to me, like when I, I had a spinal cord injury and all of a sudden I started getting a pain that is associated with spinal cord injury. It's, you know, now I know it's like a common side effect and, but I was going to doctor, to doctor, to doctor. And the, you know, the same thing, they're like, well, you decided not to take this medicine. I'm like, yeah. because it wasn't helping. Why should I take a medicine that isn't helping? And yeah. Then I finally went to this, like, I think it's because she was Eastern European. She was yeah. like, she's very like, to the point, she's like, I don't know how to solve this problem, but I can try these few things and see what happens. And that's all I can do. And I, I don't know, the, the relief I felt when a doctor yeah. was like, I don't know if I can fix this, but we're in, I'm going to try these few things and see if it works. Exactly. It's just to have doctors, you know, like I said, they, they were just, they were guessing. And um, that, you know, the idea that if you don't respond to this, then that they want to get rid of you. Or <clears throat> I had one doctor Shame who, or they yeah, how you. dare me? How dare I not get better? How dare yeah. I? And um, one thing that all that I found 
shortly after uh, my, my first doctor retired was that they love to, and I'm sorry, this is what it is. They love to give crazy meds to people instead of pain medication. Because I've been, I've been on five of them. And it's like, you have to comply. Because, right. you know, if they write non-compliant on your chart, you're screwed. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And uh, the first one they put me on, I won't say name brands, but the first one they put me on, I'd been on it about three weeks. It was doing nothing for my pain. Mm -hmm. And I'm coming home from rehearsal. And what concerned me was that I, this was so calm. But I started to have, for the first time in my entire life, real suicidal thoughts. Calm, mm -hmm. rational like on, if I go to the doctor and say, this is what's going on, I want it to be taken off this medicine. And they said, no. Yeah, because a lot of those alternative medicines actually, I mean, the same with the spinal cord injury, they give you medications and, you know, sometimes you're on it. And sometimes my partner would be like, I don't know, you know, like, cause you're not really aware of it yourself. And it's nice yeah. to have people around you to like say, Hey, do you think something's going on there? So yeah, like, so it's, I mean, we have to figure it out ourselves. And then there's people that don't figure it out. And I don't even know what happens to them. Like, I'm I, like, I think that they do it because maybe it alters, you know, alters their, so they don't, it's not that they're not in pain anymore. It's that they're more compliant. Right, right. And I think that's all they're, they're really looking for. Right. Yeah. And um, several times with medications, um, I've had to, you know, I'll go to a doctor and say once. And then all it did was make me stupid. And so I'm like, I don't want, you know, the fentanyl patches. Right, right. And I'm right. like, I don't want this. And I had to take myself off of it. So I've become the queen of going cold turkey off medications. <laughs> um, and, and, and that should, I mean, I don't, and that can't be healthy. I mean, yeah, yeah. I've got, I do have some heart issues that are not related, hopefully, to any yeah. of this. Right. But um, again, it's it's just that their idea of this is what I'm going to put you on. This is what you have, whether you have it or not. And if you, you don't respond to it, and on top of ableism, it's, of course, you know, the old adage, men have pain and women are emotional. Right, right. Of course. Yeah. Um, so you have, I have to be very calm. You know, you're talking about going into doctor's offices, physically getting there. But the, the PTSD that I now know I have from all of these years of going through being very evasive, very painful procedures and not being told the truth about what was going to be happening, um, them not even, you know, thinking about maybe, you know, we should maybe put you under anesthesia before we do this procedure or any of these things. Mentally, it's draining. And even with this new doctor, I've been with him a year and I trust him. There's still that buildup of being wary at any moment of when are you going to turn on me? When are, you know, when are you going to decide that I'm not worth treating anymore? Yeah. And that, and I think is part of the ableism that people don't see that attitude and how hard it is for us. And yeah, yeah, and the, the PTSD from like the med, you know, just like doctors give you without <laughs> maybe realizing or intending to do it. But I kind of have the same thing because I would get all these medications and then I'd be like, oh, I don't want to take this anymore. And, and like, 
I, and then I finally got a, a good neurologist that I now realize is really good, but I, she gave me a medication and it just really wasn't, it was actually causing some weird mental thing. And I was like, I was literally crying before I went to the doctor because I was going to have to tell the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like imagining, oh, they're going to argue with me. They're going to be like, no, you're just imagining it. Blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. But it was great. I told her like, this is what's happening to me. And the second I said, she's like, all right, stop taking that medication. And it made me feel, so I was just like, oh, okay. Yes, yeah, a doctor that's not going to make me feel bad. <laughs> my, my new doctor, my new doctor, um, the, uh, the the guy who's the orthopedist portion of the program, he he's talking to me and talking about my history. So I know he's read my my things, mm-hmm. and I'm looking at him like he's the Easter Bunny or something. Right. And right. he finally goes, "Are you okay?" And I'm like, "I'm sorry. I just I'm not used to this conversation. Right. Usually the conversation is, is I tell you things, you tell me I'm a liar." Um, you refuse to look at any of those past tests because the other doctors are idiots and don't know how to do any of the tests right. and you want to do them all over again. I've, I've had so many more MRIs that I'll stick to a refrigerator. If I, have one more. <laughs> I know the MRI is like, Oh God, please. No. <laughs> oh God. And the last one I had, I think the Smithsonian wants their original MRI machine. <laughs> Cause it was so I mean, it was like you're in a tube. Right, right. And it, it, I had, you know, and I was, they were like, be calm, be calm, don't move. I'm crying my eyes out. I'm trying everything I can to stay still so we don't have to start over. And they finally popped me out of that thing and I just fell on the floor. Uh And they're looking at me like I'm nuts. And I'm like, this is not what you prepared me for. Right, right. Yeah. If no, you told me, hey, by the way, we're going to stick you in this tube, and, you know, <laughs> I might have taken a Xanax or something. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> and then you have some people that are like, all right, you know, it's good. You know, that do explain the test and explain what you're going to go through, but they have some don't. So it's like, yeah, it's just hit or miss with doctors and the medical profession in general. Cause you, you know, the test you don't actually take at the doctor's office. That's a whole nother industry of test takers. You know, the test givers is another whole industry and they're not very sympathetic either. They're just like, they're like, come in, come out. How many tests can we get into? Today. Yeah, the first the first time they sent me to a neurologist, he was looking at it and he goes, "Okay, I know what they're trying to prove here, but I can tell you don't have it, so I have to do this test anyway." And I'm like, "Okay,", okay. Um, so just as long as we understand each other. And I'm like, "Okay, they just have to check everything off the box." Right, right. And um, but I'm really fortunate with this new doctor again because it's a diagnostic team. So right, far. Right. All the tests have been in the same building. Yeah, and that also makes things go quicker. Yeah, that's great too because then, you know, if you're a person that has a neurologist over here and a, uh, you know, practitioner, general practitioner over there, right. oncologist, and this and that, they're not all on the same page. Like I even notice, like when I go to the doctors, I have to be like, 
I'm taking this, this, and this, but the other doctor yeah. prescribed that to me. So you don't have to worry about that, but I just want to let you know this is what I'm taking. And then the neurologist, I'm like, I'm taking this, this, and this, but my general practitioner prescribed this. So you don't have to worry about this, but right. I'm going to let you know. So it's like, it's up to us to kind of inform. But you know, when you have a diagnostic team, then it's really great because then you have these group of doctors that are all on the same page and they're working together exactly instead of everybody being on in their own world type of I think that's why my oncologist um because he also knew this doctor personally but right, right. right before this um I, I just call him evil doctor um uh-huh. I, I won't give him his name but evil the the evilest of all the evil doctors <laughs> he had me on crazy meds as pain meds right and they were not doing anything for my pain and they were just <laughs> causing all kinds of issues and uh, I started getting really bad stomach cramps and Again, he's not going to take me off of them. I know nothing. Be quiet, be quiet. Until I was in the emergency in the emergency room, internally hemorrhaging, and my oncologist just happened to be at that same hospital that day, and he's looking and he goes, "Evil doctor put you on this med," and I'm like, "Yes." He goes, "But didn't he know you were taking this one?" I said, "I told him." He goes, "You can't give these two medicines together." And only then, when my oncologist called him, when another man called the other man. Right, right. And then he still was uh, like a petulant kid about it. Well, fine. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Why is this my fault? Yeah, yeah. You know, you know. I, 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 I think that one of the things that I really like about going back into writing and the way um, it, social media has grown mm-hmm. um, is that I have the opportunity to talk to people who are where I was 12 years ago, mm-hmm. and to try to be a voice for them to hear things that I wish people had said to me all that time ago. Yeah, I mean, this is to believe in your own self. And if some doctor tells you, you know, you're crazy or your, your perception of your physicality isn't real, then you got to get really good at getting a new doctor. Yeah, no, that's great because like being able to go online and doing things like this and talking about it, putting into the world, then someone comes across it and, you know, they might be experiencing this and they're like frustrated and then they find, they see other people go through the same thing and have gone through the same thing. And, you know, so it's, you know, it's really great to inform the disabled community or anybody like, you know, just friends that have sicknesses that can't get diagnosed. And so, yeah, no, I, I just think that, yeah, it's what's, that's still the great thing about social media really is that. So. And, and one of the things that I, I find very ableistic in the pain management community, um, especially it's not, I haven't heard so much about it in, in recently, but like in the early 2020. The early 2000s, there you go, that's the word I was looking for, early 2000s. They would threaten you from doctor to doctor, they were going to tag you as doctor shopping because, of course, everything is about getting payments. Right, right. So if you fired one doctor and went to another doctor, oh, you're just doctor shopping. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I really bought into that and stayed with some very abusive medical situations a lot longer than I should have in the beginning. Because I was terrified of being on this mythical list, right, right, of doctor shopping, and the very and and the very first pain management place I went 
They were the ones who put me on the fentanyl, didn't want to be on the fentanyl, so they kicked me out. So then I had to find another pain management place, and their um, strategy was they'd only give you 30 days at a time, and you had to take, unique to their uh, place, so you couldn't get anywhere else, a $300 urinalysis every month to prove you weren't doing other drugs. So they weren't charging you for your pain medication. They were charging you for this mythical, super special, top secret, $300 urine urinalysis. analysis. Because what people don't understand is that pain management clinics are not regulated, especially mm-hmm. in the state of Georgia. So right. they can make up any rules they want. Yeah, and then... The patient pays for it. If you happen to have insurance, maybe insurance companies pay for it. But Yeah, well, they make sure that whatever you have in insurance is not going to cover. Like the $300 special year analysis was not covered by insurance. And you had to pay cash. Oh, God. So awful. And so the doctors, and then the doctors, as, as I went along, they were telling me, and I have friends who are doctors, and it's true, uh, their uh, malpractice insurance makes a lot of them sign agreements that we won't insure you unless you agree to not prescribe pain medication under any circumstances. Mm. So your doctor doesn't can't prescribe it. You go into the pain management and that is the sleaziest for the most part. Right, right. And either they're over prescribing or they're holding you hostage. Yeah. And um, to get to, and a lot of people have no choices. And I've gone through long periods where I just didn't treat my, I didn't have any kind of treatment because I, I couldn't, I couldn't put myself into those systems. Right, right. And um, it's really, it's really frustrating sometimes that that's, you know, people don't, they're so worried about this opiate war. Right. Is that they forget that there are people that doctors should be allowed to decide if your if their patients need medication. Doctors should make those decisions. Yeah, yeah, and doctors should make those decisions. I think was it was it oxycotton that was like the or no was it I don't know like the oxycotton is uh, uh, oxycotton is what they like to call hillbilly heroin. Yeah, but that's like what the thing they were over prescribing to people. Well, anything, anything with um, um, with coding in it, basically. Uh, what the different kinds? It's just what it's cut with. Right. So, right. like, some are cut with acetaminophen, some are cut with naproxen. Right. It's usually what they're cut with. Oh, okay. Um, it's it's the difference. Right. And like for some people, if you've got stomach issues, you probably don't want something that's cut with you know like uh, ibuprofen. Right. Because that can cause stomach issues. Right. Um, so, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much the only difference right. uh, in those things. So, like, my guess is, like, the overprescribing of these meds are coming from the pain management clinics, which is exactly by doctors. And then the doctors exactly. are going to prescribe because they're, like, afraid of what's going to happen to them. Exactly. Because the, the pain, there's no overseeing of pain management clinics. They're not overseen by doctors. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, and that leads to, pro, that leads to the problem we're having now. Exactly. And, and it's, it's, it always, you know, for, for the, the people I know in the pain management community, you know, we hear all these things, oh, people are getting high. Who can get that kind of meds legally? Nobody can. Right. So if you're getting high off those things, then you are not getting your medications legally. Right, right. And, um, and they do, t- and, and I'm fine with them testing me to make sure I'm not taking other things. That is fine by me. Right, right. Um, 
or I just don't want to pay three hundred dollars for it. I just don't want to pay three hundred dollars for it, and then you hold, you know, my my prescriptions, and if I don't have the three hundred dollars, well, be in pain for three or four days, and I bet you get that three hundred dollars. Literally, yeah, that's yeah. how they were. Yeah, that's that's really horrible. Oh, did that thirty day? I love. I, there was one time. Oh, did that thirty days fall on a Saturday? Uh, too bad. Bad weekend. Exactly. Too bad. Wait for two more days and then come back on Monday. <laughs> so, if you point that out ahead of time, you know, because you could count the thirty. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's so funny. So I want to move away a little bit from that, and I want to. Sure. Um, I want to talk to you about, like, because I know you were using canes and crutches, and then you, like, ended up using a wheelchair. Do you use a wheelchair all the time, or do you walk a little? Or um, I, I always say I can walk as long as I don't have to do it for longer, be any good at it. Right. Okay. Uh, um, I, I'm the queen of falling. Um, I actually have a thing on my Instagram, reasons I'm on the floor. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> um, so in my home, um, I pretty much, everything is like two feet off the floor. My desk. Right. So, and I, I just, I'm back. I got to rave about this new carpet I just got. It's got memory phone underneath it. Oh, cool. My knees love me for oh, this yeah. new carpet. So in my house, um, I don't normally bring my wheelchair into the house, mostly because I'm really weird about how clean the floors are. Right, right. And wheelchairs, they, they are a bitch to clean. I know, I got And one. especially yeah. with COVID, when um, my doctor actually, I was uh, on lockdown about two weeks before everybody else uh because of this whole thing that's going on with my jaw. Right, right. Because uh, I was <clears throat> getting infection after infection. And the doctor would, gave me like these special things, but he was like, don't be bringing your wheelchair in and out from, you know, because hosp- I was going to the doctor like every couple of days. Right. He goes, just leave it downstairs if you can. Um, and we live in a walk up. Mm-hmm. So I can shimmy my butt up and down the stairs because I love my apartment. I've lived here forever. <laughs> I, will never, I will never go. <laughs> That's good. I mean, I mean, I've done that myself. So there's no shame um, in that. Well, I also ride uh, escalators in my wheelchair. And um, uh, my daughter, my daughter informed me several years ago that I finally got on video uh, that somebody had caught me on video. She said, I saw it. I saw you on YouTube uh, <laughs> riding the escalator. Um, so, um, I have, it's mostly just the pain of being up on, cause it's, it's my hips are just right. between everything between having my legs crushed and the arthritis that's gotten in them and the inflamed bursts and all that. Just, it's, it's really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my home, I don't, but when I'm outside, uh, I pretty much, I'm always in my chair. Um, and mostly because it just, there's no reason for me to be in that pain. Right, right. And um, there's rare occasions that, you know, um, like my, when my daughter had her um, um, baby shower, the people who did it didn't think about, hey, how are we going to get her mom into this place? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm, I've got strong enough arms to be able to get myself where I need to go on my crutches. Mostly right. it's, I'm just a fall risk. Right, um, right. So it's like I can fake it. We used to call it Roosevelting uh, <laughs> in the early days. Uh, we literally in the pain management, we call it Roosevelting when, funny. you know, you're in a situation where you don't feel safe coming out as disabled. Right, right, right. And you take a certain amount of pain medication. You wait till it hits its thing. But look, look at me. I'm bipedal. Yay, look at me. Yeah, yeah. And they don't notice that you're leaning on everything. <laughs> oh, look, I'm going to sit on the floor. 
play with your dog. I mean, yeah, uh, like when I have my spinal cord injury, because I, 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 it's like a T12 L1. So I can, I, and my quadriceps are like at a hundred percent. Uh, strength so with my quadriceps and my arms like I always tell people those are my friends that's how I am like able to easily transfer and do things yeah hold on go to the bathroom go to shower you know take a shower you know I you know as comparison to other people that don't have those muscles to work but yeah the therapists were always like you know because they get me up on crutches and walkers and you know in the therapy thing I was like oh yeah cool I'm going I'm walking 50 feet yay yay for me but then they would be like try to do this at home try to go in the kitchen and cook and I'm like what and they're like try to go to the bathroom I'm like so you want me to put my shoes and my braces on so I could go to the ba- and go to the yes. bathroom like that and cook like that and and I would just tell them I was like listen I have carpeting in my house and I'm honestly I'm I I'm gonna I could fall and I'm not gonna do that because yeah. I'm not gonna <laughs> risk falling over like using a wheelchair to go do all these things yeah it's it's that it's the bipedal at any cost yeah and so, uh, and again that's one of the things I am very much against. Yeah, uh, being bipedal because uh, it makes people more comfortable. I mean, I went through where I realized that I was doing it to make other people more comfortable mm-hmm. because um, it was a transition. Um, I once wrote a piece about um, after I went through the first auditions for the, the, the physically integrated dance company I worked for. Mm-hmm. So we would have able-bodied dancers come in who have never danced with a person in a wheelchair, much right. less do the crazy stunts we do. Right, right. And I noticed that there was a big similarity between the different kinds of people who would come to those auditions and the people who were in the auditions of my life, of some friends who got it, they just rolled with the changes and they left those decisions of what, you know, modality I was going to use to me. Right. Um, and then there were those people who didn't make the cut. Right, right. And uh, one friend, uh, it was actually me and two other wheelchair users who were were all similarly quasi-bipedal. But for the most part, when we're in our element, we're on the floor. We're in our chairs. And uh, my one bipedal friend, she was like, well, can't y'all guys just let me get things for you? Because when you guys are moving around, it just really makes me uncomfortable. And I'm like, well, you know, I can fix that. And I never invited them back to my house. There you go. I'll fix. <laughs> um, and I think that um, it's always the the happy ending of every dis- disability story. Right, right. And them getting walk. up. Look at, you know, or they walk across the stage and get their diploma. And it's right. like, but what is that? What is it costing you? Right, right. And and if it's if it's if it's a price you want to pay, if it's spoons you want to spend, then spend those spoons. They're yours to spend. Right. right. But if it's not something you want to do, and people aren't supporting you in that, well, then to hell with those people. Yeah. And and it's a really I find disability to be the best uh, gleaner of getting people out of your life that were never any good for you anyway. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And it's like, like, I like to tell people the wheelchair is like the, one of the most important inventions of the. Oh my God. Right. It's freedom. 
and it is it's like it the wheelchair is a why do we look at the wheelchair as a bad thing if you have to use it it's like it's not it actually allows us as a disabled community to have freedom and independence and actually go and do things exactly and 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 and, and the idea of ambulatory wheelchair users is that you know they figure if you can walk if you can be bipedal at any cost then you should never be in a wheelchair. And people like myself, we have people who watch to see if our toes move. Right, right. And and for a lot of people, there was so much fear of being judged um, because, oh, I saw your leg move, or oh, I saw your foot, um, you know, on the floor, or, you know, whatever. Um, that that prejudice, mm-hmm. that there's, uh, that, you know that this is a thing that I'm trying to bring attention to myself it's like no I'm trying to live my life right and and if that upsets you if that makes you mad I mean I had a guy uh, I have a, a jeep I drive um, because I have one leg that's much better than the other as long as that's true I can drive and um, so I got out of my chair and I it's light it's an ultralight because it's the chair I dance in and I pick it up with one hand and I throw it in the back of my jeep I and I just use the car and almost like roll to where the driver's seat is mm-hmm. um, using the handles of the car as kind of like a rail. And I get in the car and I pull myself into the car and I close the door and my window's down. And this guy is yelling and screaming at me for take, for being in the disabled spot and fooling everybody with my wheelchair and how dare I. And I'm like you need to get out of my face because I'm calling the cops. Right. And it happens to a lot of ambulatory wheelchair users that they're afraid to use their chairs. Right, right. And even with me, like I had a spinal cord injury, so I definitely need to use the wheelchair. But if there's stairs and stuff, I can grab a rail and get pushed my way up, like right. in an ambulatory way because I, because of my quadriceps, I can right up or I can get on my butt and push up. Exactly. And, and then like when a person, and then I, you know, I can move my legs. Like I can kick someone like, not, <laughs> well, not, not in a normal way, but I can like, <laughs> I can do damage. I can do damage. I can lift my leg and kick them. And people and my friends, like even my close friends, if they hadn't seen me for a while, you know, like a while after I had become disabled, they're like, oh, you can move your leg. Oh, you can do that. Oh, yeah. You know, like I went to my friend's house, visited her, and she has like you know she bought a new house and there's a, like a flight of stairs and of course it's my friend i want to go hang out with exactly her. so like i'm like all right and so i just go and i grab the stairs and i walk up and she's like oh my god oh my god i can't believe oh my god like it was just like almost like this holy cow i can't yeah. you can do that and, and you know i'm always just like yeah you know I can yeah, it. it's like I just don't really, I, you know, because they're my friends, so I'm not like yeah in the soup. I'm just like oh yeah, but I yeah. feel like doing those things and going because I'm part of a music art scene, and so I feel like going and doing that in front yeah. of 
people breaks their perceptions of what exactly looks like. So I don't really like say anything and I don't post things on Instagram about stuff like that. But yeah, I'll go out in the world like, Oh, you stairs. All right. This is how I'm going to get up. And my, my partner's like, okay, like we haven't, you know, we haven't said there's like, okay, I'll move your wheelchair to the top of the stairs. I'll wait for you up there. So, you know, we know we have a process that we do it. So, and yeah, so it's just like people have this image of what a wheelchair is supposed to be. And, and yeah, so that's like my goal is to kind of break the perceptions of what, what a wheelchair is exactly. Exactly. It's as a dancer, um, the first time, um, uh, a friend of mine came to see one of our shows. They thought that the able-bodied people would be pushing us and we would be doing this with our right, hands. Right. right. And um, they said, well, what are you going to do? You know, wheelies and steal each other's wheels. And in that particular piece, we actually did wheelies and stole each other's wheels because <laughs> um, they just pop right off. Right. Um, right. I can spin around and pop up on my foot plate and none of my wheels are touching the floor. Um, uh, we had a, dan- uh, a dancer who was, nothing but abs. I mean, you'd have to be nothing but abs. Um, and he could do a handstand mm-hmm. in his wheelchair. Um, we beat the crap out of our chairs, by the way. Yeah. And a weld is very expensive. But that idea of, of breaking those barriers. And for me, when I'm out in my chair, maybe, maybe because I'm older now, but it's like, I'm just going about my day Mm -hmm. and I don't have time to be your inspiration. So if you see me, you know, pop down a curb or grab the escalator and ride it up because the elevator is broken again, um, or I'm using the things to come around corners. I'm, I'm really in building. Sometimes I'll just grab the corner with one hand and just whip yeah, around the corner, staying close to the wall because people, you know, they always want to walk in the middle. Right. You know, bipeds love to walk in the middle of hallways. So we're coming around a corner. I'm doing it for, you know, their toes. But everything is, oh, oh, oh you know, and I'm like, I don't have time for that. Um, <laughs> so I, I try, you know, we've got a, um, a two-mile, except well, it's really great in Dunwood. If you haven't been there, um, it's right around the corner for me, um, but it's uh, two and a half miles. It's completely accessible. And in the fall, it's through the woods. It's amazing. Um, again, uh, I've got one of where I was going up and down the hills and just freaking people out because I'm just flying down the hills. Right, right, right. And for, for me, my chair, it, it's, it's the ultimate of freedom. And it's a choice I made. And um, I also help a lot of wheelchairs are, are always prohibitively expensive. Right. But right. for a lot, especially for ambulatory wheelchair users, you can go to a like a sports chair manufacturer, somebody who builds their own chairs. Mm-hmm. And an ultralight frame, you could get one for, you know, a little over a thousand dollars and the wheels are going to be the most expensive thing. Right. Um, but there are ways that you can get a chair and, and not this hundred dollar piece of crap you get at the CVS. Right. Um, so I try to use that knowledge and the things that I've learned from the chairs that we use in dancing and the independent um, wheelchair makers that I've worked with um, to get what you need and, and that you make your choice of how you are mobile right um your choice and i'm a giant advocate for that and um 
whether and every day you know every day is different you know i might be on two normal walking canes i might be on my the elbow i don't know the correct name with the the crutches that have the elbow grabbers i think they're called loft strand cut is that what they all call i think i can't i can't use them in georgia during the summer because it rips all the skin yeah, off the back of my arms <laughs> unless i'm wearing long sleeves yeah, yeah. uh and i tell people it's like no i just like skin on my arms i'm crazy that way <laughs> um so i have a variety of of different i have a mobility scooter um, you know, it's what I need for that day and what's right, going to work right. best for me. Yeah. And that's another thing people don't really understand that every day is different when you have a disability. Like yeah, today I can do this and tomorrow I might be able to do this. Hopefully let's see. Yeah. So it's like a very unpredictable lifestyle, like where I don't think people really understand that, like for working or all these things, they're like, you must come in nine to five. You must do the, yeah, you know, fit into this, you know, the structure and time and architecture and all these things that are not created for people that use wheelchairs or, or canes or walkers or mo motor scooters or crutches. So. Exactly. It's like I was trying to explain to this uh, one person I was working with, they, they, I was already doing a big show that night and I'd already allotted, I mean, you got to plan everything weeks in advance. So I'd already plotted, here's when I can sleep, here's when I can do this. And they were like, oh, well, I just want you to come into this one hour thing that same day on that morning. And I'm like, you don't get it. Okay. I've got a shower. That's a giant spoon. I got to get ready. The hair, the makeup. I got to drive there. I got to do the show. I've got no time to rest before the next show. And the last time I tried to keep that kind of schedule, I was in bed for a week and a half. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I was, I had the shakes. Um, I couldn't even pretend to stand up. And I really was angry at, you know, this guy I was trying to do this, the show with, because it's like, you are not listening right, right. to me. So again, I, I found that as I got more, you know, comfortable with my own disability, I think that's a big chunk of it is you becoming just more comfortable. This is me. Right. Um, is that you, you learn to spell it out in tiny little words, even if it's, I will not be there on Friday. Right. Why will I not be there on Friday? Because I won't be there on Friday. I don't have to go into, I have to take the meds and I've got this. I'm not going to be there. Okay, that's it. <laughs> exactly. Because it is exhausting to explain to people. Well, you see, I have to wake up at 4.30 in the morning. Exactly. To make it to something by that time. Yeah, people yeah. People realize like how long it takes to get like, ready. Just from waking up to being able to be functional enough to get a cup of coffee. Right, exactly. That can be an because I got to wait for my body to stop shaking. Mm -hmm. I've got to wait for, you know, enough because uh, I take medications for different parts of my disability, right. you know, to get myself, okay, I think I can actually make it to the kitchen without killing myself. Right. A plus, yeah. you know, I, I get there, all right, and I, okay, that's exhausting. All right, I'm going to be here with another, <laughs> be here for another hour. Just Getting into the coffee. kitchen was such a journey. 
Exactly. I, I've, I've actually thought about making like a funny video of dun dun dun. And if the dog gets if the dog gets in my way in the in the in the hallway because we have a very narrow ha- hallway. And, uh, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The dog is old and is never going to move. Like, or like a horror movie. Or, something. or 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 when the when the when the monsters I live with put things on the top shelves. I know. That's the word. What the hell? My partner like put things away without thinking about it and like I make this like I kind of make these things to make some money and I couldn't find it. And then I was like, where is it? Like, I'm gone. Where is it? Where do you like, I don't know. It must be there. And I'm like, no. And then I like took a broomstick and opened this like top cabinet that I can't even reach. And I saw it was all the way up there. And yeah, I was really mad at him that day. Yeah. I'll, I'll call him on the phone. I use my cell phone in the house. Hey, tall person. Hey. <laughs> oh, so I didn't give, I didn't give birth to a tall person to get things off the shelf for myself because <laughs> I get in trouble. Cause I, I have a bunch of stools in the house and right. I use them to strategically you know, to just be things to lean on, things to climb on. And I may have accidentally climbed up on a counter or two (laughs) and not been able to get myself down. (laughs) Come get your mommy. Shut up. And I'm like, let's take a picture of her. Countertop, please. (laughs) Gave you life. (laughs) (laughs) So please just help me. (laughs) Shut up. That's so funny. but it's it's that that they don't get the the instability of it and as i've grown older and i've had friends who've had things happen in their lives like uh, a friend of mine is going through chemo and she's basically become a spoonie right like right. In, in the last three months and i we were having some really frank conversations and and i was getting her to laugh about it says this is your world now Right. You know, here's your titanium battle spork, which is our symbolic, you know, symbol of, you know, the sisterhood of the titanium battle spork. Because uh, sometimes it's all you get. You, you woke up, you've got no spoons, but I have my battle spork. Here we go. <laughs> I, I will wave it. I can throw it at people. Normalize it to a point that you don't have to apologize for it. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to, you know, this is the way it is. You know, when I tell um, the, the kids in my life, my, my grandnieces and nephews, and um, and I'm explaining to them, you know, why Oji is the way she is. It's like I always do the 20 spoon thing mm-hmm. and then go through the day. And it's like now tomorrow I may wake up and I've only got this many spoons. And we're like, well, then how are you going to take a shower? I can't. Right. And, and well, you can't you take a nap? Well, sometimes you can take a nap and get a spoon back. Sometimes that works, but it's like a roulette wheel. Oh, no, thank you. No spoons for you today. Next player. <laughs> well, um, I think that's so great, too, because, like, when you're talking to your grandkids, like, they're so young. So that concept, learning that at such a young age, they, they tend to, they'll be more understanding, like, exactly. if they don't have a disability themselves, you know, we're creating creating a community or society where people we hope will understand what disability is and yeah clementine is two and a half right and uh she's uh there's plenty of videos of me i put her on her on my lap and 
we, I mean, she loves it. She right. wants to do wheelies. She loves to spin around and she'll never hold on. I had to figure out a way to strap her to me. Right, right. She has no fear. It's like, Oh, Alyssa's not going to make me fall. And, uh, and she's used to my canes and everything. The only thing with my canes is she likes to do that thing from uh, Lord of the Rings. None shall pass. <laughs> yeah. That's what she thinks my canes are for. And we went over to a friend's house and they had a little boy about her age. Mm. And he of course is, completely absorbed by my chair and my canes and she's just like what, what your your grandmother's not in a wheelchair well that must be boring um <laughs> because wow. my grandma gives me rides <laughs> oh yeah yeah she my my wheelchair is called the Wii, uh-huh and my mobility scooter is the beat beat <laughs> and uh she loves them both and like the, and the canes are from the lord of the rings and um you know she just sees i i want that to be her normal yeah that yeah, she yeah. sees that there's you know because that's a fear i mean one of the things i've learned since clementine's been born is that there are a lot of disabled grandparents right. who are really afraid that they're going to have limited access to their grandchildren because people think they're too fragile or they can't care for their grandchildren and I get that I really do and you just have to be creative and the day after Clementine was born she was being really fussy and I was left in the room by our, by myself in the hospital room and I couldn't figure out a way to get the chair rocking while I was holding her so I just put my feet in wheelchair and there's this great picture, and I'm just using the wheelchair to rock the, the oh, rocking chair back and forth. Right, right, that's great. And it was like, it's like all of disability. It's all about thinking outside the box. I have a, a, a thing I did. Um, I don't know if it's on YouTube. It is on YouTube. Um, what I call the GIMP rules. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of them, if there's an easier way to do something, a GIMP has already figured it out. Right, totally. Um, because we don't need you to explain it to us. No, trust me. We, we it's like moving along, moving along. <laughs> By the time I explain it to you, I'm already. <laughs> yeah, no, I always okay. tell people like, if you're trying to figure out how to make something accessible, ask someone in the disabled community because they already know the answer. Yeah. They already know about do this, do that, and do that, and then you're done. <laughs> you know. So. Yeah. Rule rule six. If I cannot get into your building, it's not accessible. That's how why accessible is. Can I get in? No. Oh, well, then it's not accessible. I know. But we have a ramp. Is there a giant planter in the middle of the ramp? There you go. (laughs) I I know. Like, for me, too, like, when I, you know, when I first became disabled and I was, like, looking for an apartment, you know, I'm calling around and I'm like, first of all, I'm in a wheelchair, so is your place accessible? And, like, I can't tell you how many times people would be like, I don't, I don't know. I'm I'm like, okay, um, is there a step? to get in they're like yeah there's a step i was like okay it's not accessible it's not accessible actually I, fa- I found the opposite to be true with like restaurants and and places of business because i i go to the theater a lot because i i also owned a theater company for 20 years right, right and uh back back in back in the day and you call a place and you say are you accessible and they're immediately going to say yes Right. Immediately, oh, yeah. they're going to say yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Of course, of course we are. And I'm like, okay, so when you say you're accessible, do you mean that I can go up the ramp that you take the garbage in and out through the kitchen? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's what I mean. Or it's accessible once you get over the curb. Right, right. Or, you know, or you, it's accessible except there's a giant pole in the, in the middle of the door. I have a whole series on uh, 
back in the my Google Plus days, it was called which came first, the ramp or the pole? Right. And just dozens and dozens of pictures of ramps with poles in the middle of them. And it's like right. either the pole was there and they said, what a great place for a ramp. Right, or right. The right. ramp was there and they go, you know, but this ramp, this ramp needs a pole. <laughs> <laughs> because I refuse to believe that you just woke up one morning. Who <laughs> put a put a pole in the middle of my ramp? Uh, yeah, or, yeah, no, that's really, yeah, that's. I mean, yeah, I totally understand it because I also because yeah, businesses are always like, oh yeah, we're because you know they know like legally they're not allowed yeah. to be inaccessible, so it's like yeah, they're always like yeah, yeah, it's accessible. And I think I I, I was living in the Bay Area at the time, and my friend was performing at like this big theater, I can't even remember what the name is now, but I, I just noticed, and you know, because it's the Bay Area, so it's old, and even the, and like when I first had my injury, my friends were like, oh, you should move to the Bay Area, it's the most accessible place in the country. Yeah. And, you know, and I was just like, just so I'm like, all right. But then I was like, what are they, what the, what are they <laughs> saying? It is not. You like, keep using that word, that word does not mean what I think you think it means. Yeah, so I'm like, <laughs> so like, I, I actually had an idea of making a documentary of like, kind of like, I forgot, I think I even had a name for it, but like, kind of like the other, like the things we see as disabled people, because we don't go in the way everyone else goes in. Yes. Through a back door, through a kitchen, yeah. through this, through that. And you're like, okay. So yeah, I, I think I would called it like hidden entrances or something like that. <laughs> like, you know, just like our secret, our secret, you know, what we get to see that the rest of you don't get to see type of things. I was asked, um, and I'm still working on it, but um, my friends have heard my stories of, of going to theaters and them telling me they're accessible and then the actual story of how I could not get in. Right. right. And, um, you know, with the, the, the accessible parkings over here and uh, the entrances over there right. and this one place, uh, you went through the accessible parking and then you went through about 40 feet of gravel um, up the curb mm -hmm. onto the sidewalk. And then I rolled in and there's this flight of about 12 stairs and the box office. Because they said, when you come in, you'll see the box office. Right. So I'm looking up and I'm like, okay, there's the box office. So surely there's an elevator. Right. And they're like, no, no, no. Go back out to your car, drive halfway around the building, have your friend let you out. And then he parks and all of that. And I'm like, well, what if I'd driven myself? Right. And, uh, People in wheelchairs don't drive. And so they're telling me what I've got to do, how I've got to get back in the car, go through the gravel, blah, blah, blah. My friend looks at me and he goes, so what are we doing? I said, we're none of that. Right, right. So I do the thing that drives bipeds insane. I hop out of my chair and I scooch my butt up the stairs. Yeah, to make everyone see. It makes them crazy. And so I get my friend carries out my chair. I get back in my chair. I get my tickets. The house manager comes running to me, you know, all apologetic, blah, blah, blah. They, and I'm like, you know what? I'm here to see my friend. So I'm going to go sit. We're good. 
my friend goes and gets us some some concessions and he cuts back and he's got one of everything he goes they, they just gave me t-shirts and balloons and all these things and, and, and they didn't let me they wouldn't let me pay for any of it i said welcome to gamp airlines baby yeah, yeah definitely yeah, <laughs> they won't give us a wrap but they'll give us a t-shirt <laughs> yeah it's like they won't make a, an accessible entrance but they'll give me two of everything from the concession stand <laughs> yeah yeah i i once had to pay an extra uh, ticket for my wheelchair and then wasn't allowed to keep my wheelchair in the audience with me so they go and take my chair away and it didn't occur to them to bring it back during intermission in case i needed to go to the bathroom right right um but i paid i'm like so i'm paying for a seat right right in addition to the ch the ticket i paid for the seat i'm sitting in right right and i no so um my actor friends were like you've got to start writing these people up and i'm like i think i need to because they need to understand that people in wheelchairs drive and um you know we can't all be dropped off um you know we can't roll through 30 feet of gravel i can because again i'm a professional i can get through almost any right. substance but most people can't right yeah and um you know that's that's something that you know again it's just those little things you know going to vote um you know just all the things and so i also try to go with other people once you know when, especially if they're new to being disabled mm -hmm. um and i don't know uh, if this is if you'll have to edit this out um you heard me use the word gimp before yeah i got that word from the gimp girl community because gimp also means a cord made of many colors textures and materials bound together for strength and beauty oh that's cool and so that is my generic word mm -hmm. um that just encompasses all of it and i have come to find that there are three kinds of gifts there are instant gifts people who have a sudden life accident and that must make them disabled there are cradle gifts who are born with their disabilities Mm -hmm. and people like myself and we are called border gimps mm -hmm. because we're on that border and we're never enough we're not disabled enough for some people and we're too disabled for other people right and right. we're constantly on that line right and I find that each one has their own challenges um, but I, I I realize that for a lot of people that when they have that sudden life they don't have the time to figure it out right the way right. a border get might right you know right. We, we, we i've had a long 10-year curve to kind of figure out all those all these things and so i'll go with them to vote or i'll go with them you know the first time they go to the grocery store mm -hmm. and and those things and just give them that that confidence that they're not alone i just think that's the most important thing and the thing that is i think ableism in and of itself tries to isolate the disabled person into an other right right and we can work on that we can work on them but yeah, in the meantime we have to be there for each other yeah and 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 that's that's kind of where um i i a lot of my writing and a lot of the stuff i do comes from is nor trying to normalize what is our norm so i wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, your dancing like mm -hmm. 
um, maybe like how you got into it and how like being in a wheelchair contributes to like your creativity and things you think of, you know, for dance. Yeah. Um, I start when I, I started, um, acting when I was very young, six, seven, because, um, I was in a school play and a couple of adults learned, figured out that I could memorize giant chunks of dialogue at a very early age. So I was used in a lot at the Alliance theater in all the shows. I was always the little girl. Mm-hmm. and all the shows and I did the, uh, my you know the standard amount of musical theater that most you know actors have to do mm-hmm. um and so I, I I had some dance training but not a lot but I love to go out dancing right um and that was you know my thing and so as my disability I, I always call my journey I was going into disability mm-hmm. uh, so as I'm making making that journey dance that that the creative dance which is leading my life mm-hmm. and um so i went to uh the full like i said full readiness dance has open classes on fridays which next time they have one you know once corona's over you should totally go um they're very open and we have everybody in every mobility contraption you can imagine uh on a full radius fridays and so i started going and i never forget the first time um our artistic director douglas scott um he was we were doing partnering and he did the thing where he could spin me Mm -hmm. the counterbalancing right right and that sensation and i was in i'm like i'm in Mm -hmm. and um so i just came every friday um until they would throw me out and um, he offered me an apprenticeship and my first wheelchair um, we always say that it takes four wheelchairs to get the chair you need right and my first wheelchair was the literal cart you know shopping cart with a broken wheel right right. it was bad Mm -hmm. Um, and um, I couldn't keep up I really couldn't do what I needed to do Um, so my friends got together and we bought me a very basic ultralight chair Mm -hmm. Um, but it had been it wasn't built for me and what I needed. It was built very square because they were terrified I was going to fall out of it. Right. And I'm like, you don't understand what we do. I have to be able to, to do these things. Right. Um, but so I got very creative, not only with my, what my body still could and could not do, mm-hmm. but also what the chair could and could not do. Right. And, um, this is my last chair, the chair I had for the last five years. Um, I was so fortunate to work with a, a gentleman who watched the videos and made this chair specifically for dancing. And it's so nimble and it spins on a dime. Oh, that's and so cool. it's so stripped down. I don't have handles on my chair because I don't allow anybody to push my chair. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just me and, you know, People, you know, because, you know, people just grab your chair and push you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So I figured I have no handles. And unless you're going to put your hands on me, then, you know, you'll just wait for me to move. Right. But it taught me what, how the chair moves. And as I, as the years went on uh, dancing, and as I'm looking, you know, into the future for working, you know, more independent projects, is that I became fascinated with how a wheelchair moves. Because a lot of the dancing you see in physically integrated companies especially is that the wheelchairs are trying to imitate what able-bodied people do 
Right, right. And the 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 the, the way that they're moving, the the nuances of how that goes. You'll see like um, in some places, while the other dancers are doing like plies uh, pl mm -hmm. and first, second, third, that they're you know they're doing this with their hand, trying to right. imitate the foot. Well, we don't do that in full radius dance. We right. came up with polides so we're doing the same hand motions but we are using that motion to push our chairs forward and push our chairs back where you grab the wheel how you're grabbing the wheel um, sometimes I grab the spokes sometimes you grab the rail uh, sometimes you're using both hands and and the, the different kinds of movement um, in fact it's what inspired uh, my first I did my very first um, solo music uh, video uh, called learning to fly because for me wheelchair is it's like flying it's mm -hmm. it's it's the metaphor it's always been for me and in it i really explored all the different ways that you can push a chair that you can move the wheels and and how using your body weight um to get more of a spin like you might pull that chair into a turn but you can use your own hips and your own body weight to get two or three turns out of it um or lean over and pull your body into the movement um so that there's a lot in common with with i mean i learned a lot from the bipedal dancer um and and the way they move mm -hmm. um and some of that you can incorporate into it so that you can dance together but there's also a whole other science and it's really it's unlike ballet where the bodies i always say that in ballet and in most dance bipedal dancers all come with the same equipment they have they have for the most part the same abilities mm -hmm. with a a wheelchair dancer it's our chair it's our body it's that combo packet right, the right. surface i mean i've danced on slick marble i've danced in the grass and hot concrete uh patterned you know asphalt um carpet oh my god carpet <laughs> I, the, the stories i could tell you about the carpet um and and that all affects how you move right i mean we had we had done this piece where we had choreographed it for a slick floor and we showed up and they had a three inch shag carpet so that one movement that got you across the floor literally we are like dragging just praying we can get around i had my entire wheel come off in the middle that the whole wheel the rubber part of the wheel came off in the middle of the show <laughs> and we still had about two minutes of choreography and i was managing to get us around it's it totally killed the wheel right, right. and my partner had this thing where he leaps into my lap and he's upside down and i've got his body weight and i'm holding him like this while i'm turning this and i could see his eyes like are we doing this and i'm like i guess we're about to figure it out <laughs> and i the, the met i think for, for for wheelchair dance it's really difficult that there are some people who think that there we can standardize it Right. And there's maybe there's some things you could, but I think for the most part that that defeats the spirit of right. what uh, disabled dance is, is because it is a combination of what your body can do, what your chair can do. We are more affected by where we're dancing um, and what we have access to. And so for me, I, it also I think is important 
for kids to see that, yeah, that, yeah. that this like, this is my job. You are a little girl in a wheelchair and you can grow up and be a professional dancer. Yeah. Yeah. You can do these things. And whereas actors, you know, disabled actors are still trying to carve out their own spaces mm-hmm. in in the already established acting community and having to, you know, really fight against just get cast. Yeah, and, um, and besides that, a lot of the spaces aren't accessible. Exactly, and, and, and they don't let us make the choice. Right, yeah. Yeah, can I can I make the choice that I don't need a bar in the bathroom? I can make that choice, you can hire me. Right. Um, growing. We are carving out our own spaces and and making those um to, to normalize it, because for a lot of people, like my friend who came and thought, you know, they're going to, be doing this with their hands right, right right and then they see what we do and so many people have told me that you know at first they see it and they're like oh my gosh she's in a wheelchair and she could do this or she could do that and then they forget about it they just forget about the chairs not that they don't see them but that we are so integrated with our our bipedal partners mm-hmm. and you know they don't get enough credit i've had some of the most amazing partners mm-hmm. who um i it's got to be a whole nother way of dancing yeah, and yeah. trust me we run we've run over more parts of them <laughs> you know we always used to say oh you got your first tire bird though i've been kicked in the jaw by many a bipedal dancer okay, and you know right, stepped right. on and i've had literally bruises of their footprints embedded in my flesh so it's um, a trade-off essentially <laughs> yeah. you know really you know i and i have to admit i i I've tormented one or two. One guy, he was so nervous. He just joined the company. And the first time he knocked me over, he did. He just flat knocked me over. And I could just see it. He's like, you know, wheelchair panic. It's one of my favorite things about bipeds. You know, when they wheelchair panic. Yeah. And I'm like, just just get out of my way. I don't need you. In fact, we don't even allow the, uh, the bipedal dancers to pick us up right. unless we give the code word. Oh, okay. Yeah. We have a code word called broccoli. And it basically means I can't get myself up, um, but we'd rather, you know, chew our foot off and say it most of the time. Yeah, yeah. Because our bipedal partners learn how to to pick us up. And when we went on tour, we went on tour uh, to Spain. Oh, that's And um, the people they sent to drive the buses and, and send us to these different locations, they were going to kill us. I mean, literally, they had us putting on get on this bus and it had no rails it was like a big giant piece of metal that went six feet off the ground and they kept trying to grab at us as they're doing it and it's like you my our director was like take your hands off my dancers <laughs> and had to tell everybody the from the the uh, uh, embassy everybody don't touch my dance we will get them on and off right, right and you know that was the whole thing just the the, the traveling um things of being in a physically integrated company. We went to New York and uh, they met us at the, at the gate with more chairs. It didn't occur to them that a physically integrated company might be coming with their own chairs. So they're standing there with chairs and we're like, um, we don't need those. And so we're just like, okay, well, we got to get, we got to catch the shuttle and we're rolling ourselves to the shuttle and they're like chasing us with the chairs. And then they put our chairs and those chairs into the shuttle bus with us. I've got this fabulous picture. You see two, three little heads and like seven chairs. (laughs) 
And we're like, that's so funny. Why, why do we, I don't understand why we need And the thing is, like, they could have just called and said, hey, do we need to have chairs? Or, or how do you think we're going to dance if yes, we don't bring like, our you know, chairs? We're bringing the chairs to dance. <laughs> because, you know, we're kind of a unit here, you know. Yes. <laughs> Assume. <laughs> but, like, one of the great things I, like, really enjoyed listening to your experience of dancing is, like, I, you know, I feel unfortunate. I, I don't use my manual chair anymore because my pain is so bad. I use right. a manual chair. But, like, what you were talking about, like, using the spokes or using the rails or maybe grabbing the tires themselves. And I think like when you're going around in the world, that's kind of stuff you're doing too. You're learning to, you're learning to do your wheelchair in this world that isn't made for it. Oh, exactly. That's how I push a cart in my chair is that it it, it occurred to me that my, the cart was just like when I'm partnering with another wheelchair dancer. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I, I mean, I've got my hand here, so I'm driving with this one and I'm just, you know, and I'm pushing with the other, I can go around the corners. I can do all the things. And, when I, when I, cause it, before I was using, you know, in the early days I was using the cart as, as a walker uh-huh. and, and then that just came, I'm like, this is painful. Why, why am I, I would come home and I'd be out for two days and I'm like, right, this is ridiculous, right. but I had to train the store I went to cause like for the first three months, they would constantly be helping me, mm-hmm. you know, that, that unhelpful help. Yeah. And, and like taking the card out of my hands. I'm like, I'm halfway through the store. I've not needed your help thus far. Why do you think I need it now? Um, I'm good. Thank you. Um, and I, that, but those skills, I mean, all the skills, one of the reasons I, I, I have been, I work with a lot of times, um, um, teenagers cause teenagers really can't be in places like full radius because of insurance issues right and parents you know they're terrified you know their kids gonna fall and it's like if your kid's a dancer your kid's gonna fall right sorry that's right. just the way that works uh-huh. so before they're 18 but they don't learn those skills mm-hmm. because i learned how to ride an escalator um get on and off a, a curb uh pop over places in the road get through I learned all of those skills in full radius, not in physical therapy because they're afraid to teach you that stuff. And we've literally taken kids around the corner, like, shh, don't tell them I taught you how to do this. Yeah. And physical therapy, they, they don't teach you things like that. Really is the most little thing that a wheelchair user needs to learn because you'll use it for everything. And if nothing else, sometimes when I'm just, you know, sitting around with friends or, you know, and public, I'll pop a wheelie and I can pretty much hold it. I I mean, because I can, and I'm not doing it to show off. It's because it takes the pressure off my back. It's my, it's my version of leaning against something. Right. Right. Because to hold yourself completely upright, because I don't have a back really on my chair. Right, right. Because I mean, I have like a little bit. Chairs without the handles, the back's lower. So well, the back is lower so that my partners can jump yeah, on me yeah, and over me. When and, you're using it and you're out sitting, it, your back actually. My my wheelchair was the same, similar. So it's like when you're sitting there for a long time, your back actually starts hurting. And exactly. Do stuff to kind of. Yeah. So I just pop into a wheelie and I can just hold it and and just with a slight little rocking motion, just kind of give my back a break and um and you know get over every crack in the sidewalk um 
God said, you just use it for everything. Yeah, yeah. And it's not something that they can teach them. Yeah, um, so, I don't even think they're allowed to teach them. So yeah, and even the dancing, it's like actually your experience with dancing actually contributes or you contributed because maybe you did stuff before you were dancing and then you learn even more like how to control this wheelchair and right environments and stuff i i think that the reason my um i I think when when it comes to the people that get hired in in physically integrated dance most of them are either athletes Mm -hmm. or actors Mm-hmm. Um, because that's what we're bringing. We're either bringing that athleticism or the that dramatic training right, into right. the dance. Um, because there's really no place for us to learn. Again, kids, you, there, you can't have little kids in a dance class. Right. There's right. no insurance company's going to allow that. Right. And and I'm, I would I would love to have a parent who would be okay with my kid's going to fall. My kid's going to fall out of this chair. My kid's going to crack his head open, just like any other dancer. When it comes to parents of disabled people, there's that, it's hard for them to be like, let your kid go play football. I mean, your kid's going to get crushed and smashed in football. Right. Because parents just want to protect their kids. And when they're disabled, maybe, you know, I, yeah. But I'm guessing that protection feeling even comes more. Oh yeah, exactly. And, and, and I get that, but it's like, that's, so, and so when I get to them when they're in high school, because a lot of times uh, I've had kids, they want to be a part of their senior musical. Right, right. And they want to do more than be put, rolled on stage and do a little right, of this. Right. So I've taught a few of them. You know, we've come up with some with some musical numbers for them. We did one that was so much fun. Uh, we did a number from um, um, Nightmare Before Christmas, mm-hmm. Kidnap the Santa Claus, and I, I got her two partners. Just had a blast with it. And they were like, all these things I'm learning, it, it, it gets me through the crowds quicker and say more safely. I can flow with the crowd. I can, you know, make sure that, you know, cause you guys need your toes. I don't. And, yeah. and <laughs> how to get into an elevator efficiently, yeah. you know, so you don't have to be the only one in the elevator it freaks people out. I, the elevator opens, I pivot, I get into a corner, I park myself in. I'm like, everybody get in. Room enough for everybody. Yeah, yeah. You know, because a lot of times, oh, well, she's got to have the elevator all to herself. Mike. Yeah, yeah, and that also happens to me. I'm like, to me, I'm all like, no, you can come in. I'll just sit back here and everybody come in. It's all right. So, yeah. <laughs> but one of the other things I, like, really found interesting, even in the dancing community that you're a part of, is that idea of helping. Like, you know, you have this, like, safe word for help, whereas, like, out in the world, that's not you know, that structure for that, like people like are, you know, they want to help. And sometimes their help isn't really help because they don't, it's like easier for me to like, if I fall, fall, sometimes it's just, sometimes I'll need help and I'll say, yeah, but sometimes I'm like, no, let me just do this. It's just easier. I know how to do it. I know what to do. And then, you know, people helping you, it's kind of makes it harder. Even Well, it's why I came up with the GIMP rules. Um, um, I mean, they're funny, you know, like, um, you know, when you fall down on the floor before you get up, think about what can I do while I'm down here? You know, don't let your friends push your wheelchair when they're drunk you know yeah <laughs> you know, but but number six one of the most favorite favorites is is number six which is helpful help that's the help we need is the helpful help right and helpful help helpful help is the help i ask for 
So if I don't ask you, uh, I found I've come up with little ways again to try not to don't friggin' touch me though. Sometimes you got to go there. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, do you need a hand? No, no applause, please. I'm fine. And just to, to communicate to people that you are not helping me. But even um, when I said, we've had a lot of dancers come and go, the bipedal dancers. And again, when we were in New York, we were telling them, you know, that when you're in a restaurant, people just move you out of the way. Like you're a chair, like you're a piece of furniture. Um, and they thought we were kidding. So we're in New York. We're all sitting around. And these people are trying to get by. And first they move one of the wheelchair dancers. And then they move me. Not, excuse me, hello, yeah. hi, your person. Yeah. And they're just looking with their jaws drop. And I'm like, what the hell is that about? And it's like, they see, and, and, and it's something I've written about, is that you're seen as furniture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's inanimate as furniture. And, again, that with the rules, I kind of made them as a joke to my friends. But it's like... If you're going to be my friend, if you're going to be my able-bodied friend, so here are the rules you need to learn them. I've trained them. Right. And I and I literally have trained them. So they know, you know, they would never reach out and just grab somebody's wheelchair. You know, they know not to jump over me and, and try to open a door for me and clock me in the head with it. Right. Um, right. You know, they know that I, I don't want people praying for me spontaneously in the Walmart. Um <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. I, I, I can't tell you how many times, which I don't really get offended, but I'll be rolling around somewhere and someone will come up. And it's nice. They're like, oh, you know, we have a church and we can come pick you up and take you. You know, they're like inviting me to be part of their community. Yeah. At the same time, I'm like, you know, I'm Indian and my parents are Hindu. I'm not really a religious person, essentially. But like... I'll literally just be like, oh, yeah, no, I'm Indian. I'm Hindu. Because even though I'm not, because I know they'll just like be like, what? I exactly. Don't know what that is. What? Never mind. I'm just like, but I'm inviting you. I'm like, thanks for inviting me, but I'm Hindu. And, you know, but, you know, that's so kind of you to invite me. Thanks. Yeah. One time I was coming home from a show and uh, I was riding the Marta. So I've gotten off, I'm exhausted and I've gotten off the Marta and I'm just trying to get my chair into, into the Jeep. And I am, I'm, I am really tired. So I'm trying to get the chair in the chair and I'm struggling a little bit cause I'm tired. And this man comes up to me and says, can he ask, can he pray for me? And I said, if you'll put this chair in the Jeep, you can pray all you want. Right, right, right. So literally, as he's praying for me, he's putting the thing in the Jeep. I'm rolling to the thing. And I, and I close the door. Amen. Thank you very much. Drive away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I had just recently, um, I was, I, I needed a, a, to phone my son and, and my phone had died. And this lady goes by and I said, ma'am, can I use your phone? I need to call my son to pick me up. And she goes, can I pray for you? And I'm like, can I use your phone first? <laughs> yes. <laughs> So she's like, okay, so I use the phone and then she just immediately without anything just puts her hands on me. And a lot of times when somebody asks, can I pray for me? I'm like, no, no. Yeah. And I'm just like, sure, you can pray for me. I'm I'm an ordained minister. I'm an ordained Oh, you're a minister. Yeah, I'm an ordained minister. Uh-huh. And and um, sometimes, you know, my parishioners have been in the hospital, so I go to visit them when they ask me. Yeah, yeah. And it confuses the bejeebus out of people. They're just like, you're 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 the minister? I mean, or when I'm or doing a wedding right, or whatever, right, right. I'm like, you know, or, or the opposite, you know, when some person, I'll use a nice word, you know, after they've watched us do this magnificent show, 
you know, you're rolling off stage and stuff. Would you like to know why God put you in that chair? And I said, no. And I'm like, no, but you won't need to ask him why I put you in one. Um, (laughs) Yeah, things like that would piss me off. But, you know, if a random person's like, I want to pray for you. I'm like, all right, go ahead. Do I have to be here? I've also done that too. I literally roll away. I was like, I won't be walking after your prayer, but go ahead. Go ahead and pray for me. That's fine. So, you know. So, yeah, like, that's like, you know, people, it's, yeah, it's, it's just like a silly, silly notion sometimes. I, um, I'm a, a, I'm a big, uh, I've been going to Dragon Con since before Dragon Con. You're from Atlanta, so you know what Dragon Con is. Right. For those in your audience, it's kind of like a, our local Comic Con. Right. Um, and um, so I've. I've made that transition of being, you know, of being at Dragon Con uh, as a bipedal person and, and in my chair. And that idea of, of that, you know, sometimes they'll uh, have like the special seating for us or, you know, and, and I always say that one of the rules is everybody is my friend in the, in the Dragon Con line. Because when we would be waiting in lines for things, they would, they used to pull us out and right. bring us in first and everybody, oh, I'm a friend, I'm a friend, I'm a friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah everybody's my friend. And during the Christmas shopping season, when you need a place oh to go God. to the mall, I can't count how many times, you need to go to the mall, you need to go to the mall. <laughs> no, but you know, people. I, I I understand their their motivation, but they don't understand that you can do that praying. You don't have to ask our permission. Right. You want the attention, right? Yeah. Of, of of that, and that's why I I don't. I either say, well, if there's something I need you to do right now, no. Well, then you pray. I'm out of here. Um, or as long as it's like, a, okay, well, you know, next time we have pipe ceremony, we'll be sure to include you. Um, <laughs> because um, my family is uh, half Irish, half Native American, so I was raised with a uh, Native American spirituality. Right, right. And uh, we have pipe ceremony, you know, every month. And it used yeah. to be great with the Mormons when they'd come to our house and they say, you know, God told me to come to your house. I'm like, really? Because Creator told me to come to your house and have pipe ceremony. Where do you live? What's your address? <laughs> bring me my TP. I'm going to bring the whole gang. It'll be great. <laughs> Roast a pig. <laughs> that's fantastic. So yeah, tell the able bodies, if you want to pray for us, just do it on your own time. I'm sure God will still hear you. Yeah, that's that's great. I don't need to. I don't need to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's great. <laughs> well, OG, I want to thank you so much for doing this oh, no talk with me. And I really, I enjoyed so, the talk with you, and like, especially the religious perspective. I, 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 you know, I kind of understand what you're saying. Like, they're looking for the attempt, you know, by coming up. Right. I, I I never like thought about it in that way, but I was like, yeah, it is true because why can't they yeah. just pray and not make yeah. it like some big statement that they're doing it for you <laughs> or something? So, yeah. So it's, to me, it's it's just it's just the bipedal version of knocking on your door and handing me a pamphlet. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> exactly. Well, it was so great talking to you, and oh, I wanted to ask you the name of your dance company. It's Full Radius Dance. Um, we're, um, still here in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, they are going to be doing, uh, some video, um, presentations. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, up close and personal is usually, uh, the thing that they, we do in the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I've just, uh, they just announced my retirement today, so I won't be part of those right now. I've still got about six more months of surgeries going, right, right. uh, but please go and see them. I plan on doing it.
Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of This Crip Life. If you like what you hear, please consider donating at DIYable.com. And remember, disabled people are people.